really, uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the conversations that we're going to have in the following Sundays. I guess I should say, um, get ready to be a little bit uncomfortable. Get ready to be a little bit challenged. But I hope that uh, that also means get ready to be excited and get ready to dream big because I believe that God wants to do great things in our lives. Do you believe that today? I believe that strongly with all my heart. When I think of Jesus, did Jesus come to earth to just be or did Jesus also do? He was and he did, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came, and He was, and He taught us who He was, revealed to us the Father, and He also did things among people. And He calls us to be like Him. God calls us to be, and God calls us to do. Who are we called to be? We are the children of God. We are a chosen priesthood, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are, we are called to be salt and light, right? So we are his, we, we have an identity in him, we are his children, and at the same time he's called us to do certain things, right? And now in that certain thing that God's called us to do, it's one thing that God's called us to do, and that is to draw people to him. We're called to lead people to the Father. We're called to make disciples of Jesus. And that's going to look differently for each and every one of us. But today, we're going to begin a, a, a conversation, per se, on what it looks like for us as a church to fulfill the Great Commission. What does it look like for The Rock to make disciples? What are we here for? We're not here necessarily to grow the attendance. We're not here necessarily to build things. We're not here necessarily to be liked by the city or by, you know, the government or whatever it may be. Those things are not negative. But we're here primarily for one purpose, to lead people to be followers of Jesus Christ. And the intention of our ministry, the intention of our lives, the intention of everything that we do is hoping, right, whatever we build, whatever connections we make in the city, whatever we preach from the pulpit, our hope and our desire is that people are drawing close to Jesus, that they are coming into a real relationship with a real God who really lives and who can change lives. Anybody with me today? So I want to engage with you in a conversation of what it looks like to be about the mission of God. What does it look like to live our lives for God's mission? And I want you to know something. You are valuable to the kingdom. God wants to use you to lead people to him like he can use nobody else because he uniquely created you, you. There's a purpose for you. And that is true whether you're a part of the rock or whether you're visiting and you're a part of another church. We're talking kingdom here. We're talking about something bigger than four walls. God has called you to lead people to him. Which means that he wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to have peace in him. He wants you to know how good his salvation is. He wants you to know how good his forgiveness is toward you. He wants you to know how good his grace is so that you would know it so much and so well and so that you're so full of it that you can't help but just be pouring over the goodness of God in people's lives. I don't know about you, but I want that to be the reality of me. I want God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's joy, God's peace, God's grace, you know, God's smile to be so big over me that it's pressed down, shaken together, running over so that I can't help but just represent Jesus. Anybody desire that in their lives? 
It's my desire. So in making that declaration, we're making a declaration that the kingdom is not just about what we receive. The kingdom is about what we give. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I got to tell you, man, it is awesome to receive the grace of God. I don't know about you, but I remember walking into a church for the very first time as a 16-year-old, and I gave my life to Jesus, and I just knelt there and wept on that pew, not knowing what was happening, and finally receiving the forgiveness and the love of God and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and just being filled with the presence of God. Wow, receiving from God is amazing. But when that translates into now this that I receive, I'm leading somebody else to experience and to know. And God has used me, or God is using me to help somebody encounter God in that very real way. That is life-changing on a whole nother level. It's no longer, the kingdom is no longer about what I receive. It's also about what I give. It's about God the Father calling me to be a part of his kitchen as he does his work, and I get to sit front seat and see God do great things. I want to live my life at the front seat admiring what God is doing. Are you with me today? And the cool thing about that is that God would say to you and I, I want you to be my partner. Not because you're equal to me, but because I love you. Because you're my child. And I want you to delight in all the goodness that I'm not only going to do through others, but I'm going to do through you. I want to show up in your life and I want to show off. You know what that means? God calls us to dream big dreams because he's a big God. God calls us to have big vision because he's a big God. God calls us to stretch wide because he's a big God. He's able. He's able. So today I want to talk to you about how we as a church are called to fulfill the mission of God, the Great Commission, which is leading people to Jesus. And, and what does that look like individually? So we're going to talk a lot about the local church, we as a church here in the city of Oregon. But as I talk about those things, I want you to ask yourself, how is it happening in your personal life as a follower of Jesus? Let's stop right here. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I don't know that God has a purpose for me. You're here today so that you can hear from me. Jesus loves you and he has a purpose for you. And today you can commit to follow Jesus. He can transform your life from the inside out, set you free, and make you a vessel so full of his glory that it will be pouring out out of you to be a blessing to your people. That's who God is. I'm so glad Monique is happy with me about this. Just me and Monique, we got this girl. Anybody excited about God today? This is God's desire. It is God's desire for you. So who are we and why are we here? Those questions really matter. We said a while ago, ago, as we looked at the church, we arrived at this statement to kind of describe the rock and our culture, that we are real people from all walks of life, advancing the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to sit and park and just look at that statement and think about it. What does it mean to be real people from all walks of life, advancing the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, as you look across this beautiful room full of incredible people, I want you to know something about each and every one of us. We're real people with real struggles, with real issues, with real brokenness, with real warfare, but with a real God who really lives, who has real power, 
to change our lives. And thus he gives us a real testimony. That's the good news, right? The good news is that we serve a God who, who, who changes our lives. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, right, what he has done. And the word of our testimony, God wants to pour out mercy and forgiveness and grace and power over your life so that you can go to the world and say, this is what God has done in my life. This is the testimony of a man that was phony, now holy, living to give God the glory, now only. Once totally bound to depravity and gravity and sanity was the lot that this life gave me. But by his grace, now I'm chosen and broken at last, the aftermath of a man who received mercy instead of wrath deserved or even wrath deferred. Wrath was served, satisfied in Jesus, who quenched the thirst of a holy God, hating the sinner and hating the sin, hating the fact that I was filthy within, but still loving me deeper than the depth of the sea. He proved it to me when he destined the death of his seed. He proved it to me when he planted the tree. He proved it when he died in my place instead of letting me be, letting me be. He proved it to me when he saved Noah from destruction. He was thinking of you, and he was thinking of me. Now I'm thinking of him, singing again. My heart beats in these words because I'm living for him, believing in him to the point that I'm singing old hymns. Great is thy faithfulness. Even when I was a wretched man that I am at the cross is where I found my sight. Oh, what a friend I found in Jesus. When the trumpet sounds, I'm leaving with him. So it is well with my soul if I bleed to defend the gospel. The cross before me, the world behind me, I'm seeking a man. As a deer pants for water, I'm seeking him hard. A living sanctuary I want to be till I'm martyred. So to God be the glory for the things that he has done. In all things that will be done, thy kingdom come. Praise be to Jesus. He's a real God. He's a real God who gives us a real testimony. And I don't know if you've been in church all your life or not. I don't know if this is the first time you've been in church, but I want you to know this. The God we serve is the God that can meet you today and change you from the inside out. We're real people from all walks of life with a real God who has the power to change us. All walks of life. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 says, In heaven there's going to be a multitude of people, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And we as a church strive to be just that, a multicultural church. Not because we're looking for it, simply because we love Jesus. And because we love Jesus, people are drawn to Jesus. If you look across this room, I love what I see in this room. People from all walks of life. People from all cultures. Why? Because Jesus is good for everybody. Amen? Amen. And he's worthy. People from all walks of life, and what are we doing? Advancing the kingdom of God. What does that mean? We're about the purpose of God, not our purpose. We're about the purpose of the kingdom of God. We want to do his will, but we know that we can't do his will if it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the very power of the Holy Spirit. This is why we come and we worship. This is why we pray. This is why we do everything that we do. We're saying, God, nothing that we set our hands to do do we want to do without your presence and without your power because you're the only one who has the power to change lives right? Real people from all walks of life advancing the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what is, you know, so how does it look like? That's who we are. We address this is who we are. And what I want to do today is I want to talk about who God called us to be 
and what that looks like in action, okay? Go with me to Matthew chapter 5, 13 and 14. It reads this way. You, I want you to think I, this, this scripture is Jesus speaking to you. This is for Rachel, this is for Chris, this is for Devin, this is for Sherry, this is for Paul. Each and every one of you is a believer of the Lord Jesus. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I want you to just focus on that, what God says about you and I, what Jesus says about you and I, the believer, those who follow Jesus. Number one, you are salt. I love salt. I love salt. The truth of the matter is I love salt. And when we look at that, what does it mean as people when God calls us to be salt of the earth? It means two things. Number one, salt brings flavor and salt preserves. I love to cook with salt. I have a friend who's a chef. He sometimes thinks I use too much salt, and I agree with him. You know, and, uh, and uh, he says, you know, when a piece of meat is really good, when a piece of steak is really good, when a piece of chicken is, is a really good piece of chicken, you don't need to flavor it too much because you're, you're actually just eating the, the seasoning as opposed to the flavor itself, right? And so what salt is supposed to do is bring out the flavor of the meat that you're seasoning. And so when God calls us to be flavor, to be salt, God is actually calling you and I to meet people and everyone that we would encounter that we would bring the life of God out of them, yeah. right? That we would be such a blessing to them that we would begin to call out of them everything that God desires for them. That instead of speaking death or being death or, or, or speaking hopelessness or foolishness, that we would encourage them to see themselves as God created them to be. You're called to be salt. Salt is also a joyous thing. When you, when you think of salt as it bringing flavor, I don't know about you, but I get a happy dance when I eat. It's never changed. I am a 40-year-old man. I still dance when I see food. My kids are like, Dad, you're dancing again. Dad. I don't know. I just start to sing it, and I get happy because there's food. I don't know. Don't judge me. Maybe it's a deliverance issue. I don't know, Chris. I like food, right? Salt. So, Food, it's always, food is always talked about in a, celebrative, uh, uh, in, in a celebrative form. It's about celebration. And, you know, as a believer, I want you to know something. You should have joy. Because you're salt of the earth, the Bible says, you know what? Instead of faking it till you make it, let me give you joy so that it can be contagious. Right? God wants you to have that. He desires that for you. And you are the... Uh, and salt is like a preservative. And if it's a preservative, what does that mean? Talk to me. What does it mean to preserve? You can talk to me. Keep from spoiling. Back in the days, 
when there wasn't electricity and the kind of refrigeration that we have today, there were actual countries who actually went to war against each other because salt was used to preserve food. And whoever owned the area, geographically speaking, that produced the most salt basically controlled regions of the world, right? Because salt is used to preserve life, right? I want you to think about that. When God calls you to be salt, he's basically saying in your family, in your city, in your neighborhood, I've called you to push back corruption, to push back the things that spoil your community and your family, and I've called you to preserve life. Isn't that incredible? That's incredible. Brother Gary said in the first service that salt also stings. You know, if you put salt in the wound, it stings, but it could also bring healing. But it's not a healing that feels great. And I got to tell you that God wants to heal. But the healing that this nation needs is a healing that will sting. And the church is not called to just make people comfortable in their sin. The church is not called to just sedate people on the seats. The church is not called to just preach whatever everybody's comfortable with. We're called to bring healing to the nation. And healing comes through truth. And it stings. But it brings life. You are the light of the world, the Bible says. Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus, the light of the world, is saying you are the light of the world. Well, what could that mean other than God has called you to share in his calling? Think about the magnitude of that. God's saying, I want you to share in my purpose. I want you to be like me, the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. It means this. A light helps us see. A light leads the way. Light is never overcome by darkness. Light always overpowers the darkness. Do you know that? Even a little match. Even a little match. Right? And it means that you and I are supposed to be an example. A city set on a hill. When I was at, uh, the Jeru- uh, when I was at Jerusalem, it was like, well, of course. And when I was at Galilee, too. Whereas where Jesus spoke, this is the Galilee area. Well, of course, Jesus is talking about cities set on hills. Because if you look at that region, all you see is a bunch of cities, a bunch of different places where there are cities on the hill. And they're actually placed on the hill in that way because if they were attacked, they're actually protected by the hill. Which is a blessing because your protection comes from the Lord. The Lord is your foundation. Amen? The Lord is your foundation. But God's called you to be a city on that hill. But don't worry about your protection. God will protect you. Don't worry about that. God will take care of you. But you're a city set on a hill. You're called by God to be an example. You lied to the world. Now that we understand that, you and I are called to be salt and light to the world. How are we going about doing that? How are we being salt and light to the world? Now, what I like to do is encourage you to do three things. And I'm completely convinced, I'm 100% convinced that if you do these three things, if you commit to do these three things this year, these three things that we as a church are going to commit to, I'm completely convinced if you commit to these things, your life will be different. Let me just say this. If you commit to these three things, you're going to see fruit. You're going to see God use you for his mission and for his kingdom. I don't know about you, but I desire to bear fruit for God. The Bible says that, you know, there's going to be those who 
Uh, when they get to heaven, there is this judgment for believers, for those who are followers of Jesus. And it's a different judgment. It's not a judgment based on salvation, but it's a judgment based on the fruit of our lives, um, the fruit that we bear for the kingdom. And it says that all of that's going to go through a refining before the presence of God. And, and whatever is not worth uh, before the Lord much, it's going to be consumed by the fire. And it says they'll be saved, but, you know, the fruit or the labor will be worthless. I'm like... Man, I don't want to get to heaven and be like, I'm saved, but my labor was worthless. Anybody with me? I do not want to be there. Right? I believe that if you commit to these three things, I believe that there's three things that you and I need to commit to that we're going to see fruit in our lives. And this is really the, the emphasis for this year and the emphasis for the church. And we actually have it on the shirt. You see it on that little slide. And that's this. Pray, serve, and give. Pray, serve, and give. I don't know how far we're going to get into this today, but let's start with prayer. Are you ready to come into this journey with me? You ready? You excited? Pray, serve, and give. And today we're just going to go an overview, and then we're going to dive deeper into this throughout the weeks that are coming. But let's just focus today on praying. And I want to talk to you about praying strategically. I am so thankful that this church is a praying church. Give yourself a hand. You're a praying church. Some of you are like, yeah, this is a praying church. Some of you are like, I don't know about all that. You're prophesying. Just say, we are a praying church. I'm going to be a praying church. I, I am thankful that we're a praying church. i got to tell you that I've been here for 10 years as a pastor. I've been privileged to serve here, and I believe that God began to turn things around when prayer began to be the thing we did right? Like not something that we just did to the side, but when we started to see that only prayer can turn things around, when we begin to just focus on prayer in that way, I believe that God began to do mighty, powerful, powerful things. Prayer is effective. And and I love, we have a prayer coordinator. If you don't know, Miss Chris Burtock leads the charge here to help the church. That's her husband, of course. Let's do that again. And we have a prayer coordinator, coordinator Chris Burtock. <laughs> Let's do it again. Chris is loving this. Chris, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but you know what? It's very interesting. She has been a blessing to this church body. And I remember there was a point Laura and I were talking, and Cheryl at the time who's in Texas, but we were talking about how does prayer become more of who we are. We said, you know, Chris is really a prayer warrior and we said how did how does prayer become more of an emphasis of what we do and and in that in that room we said you know it's interesting how churches staff everything but they don't really staff prayer and the bible says my house will be a house of prayer so how do we how about if chris came on board as our prayer coordinator at the rock and i believe strongly simply because chris has been obedient to the call of god and she stepped into that office that god is brought fruit to the rock, right? Because we as a church all together are honoring the purposes of the kingdom. Strategic prayer matters. Michael White, love me brother Michael White, he said to me, you know, I got to, on Wednesday I came to church a couple weeks back and I was just going to go to the prayer room to pray and the little kids came after me and said, you're praying, we're going to pray with you. So I said, okay. So they came into the room and uh, as we started to pray, they started to pray for stuff. I didn't know what to do. So they were like, Father, I thank you that you're going to bring Muslims to know you, Jesus, that Muslim countries to come to faith in you, that people will give their lives to Jesus. He's like, what do you pray after an eight-year-old prays that way? 
You know, <laughs> what do you do, right? We, this is a praying church, and I'm thankful, and I pray that God will continue to help us to grow and be in a prayerful people. I want us this year to commit to praying strategically. We want to pray strategically. What has God called us to do to make disciples of all the nations, to make disciples, to leave, make followers of Jesus Christ? Here in the city of Oregon, what's the call of this church? We want to make disciples here in the city of Oregon and in our surrounding areas. So we want to pray strategically. What are we praying for? We're praying, Lord, open our eyes to the needs and the hurts and the crisis of our city. God, show us the needs of our city. We're praying, oh God, open the doors in this city so that we can be a blessing to this city. We're praying, oh God, uh, we're praying for individuals in our city. We're praying for families in our cities. We're praying for our schools and our businesses and our hospitals and the entertainment and the government of our city. Praying God, strategically praying God, change our community. Second Chronicles chapter 7, 14 says this, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is God's word. God says that if you and I engage God in prayer, this is what God's going to do. He's going to listen to our prayers, number one. He's going to forgive our sins, number two. And that good news, number three, is going to heal our land. And I'm going to make a declaration here. I believe that the church is full of people who believe that God hears prayer. I believe that the church is full of people who believe that God forgives sins. But I wonder how many people in the church believe that God can still heal the land. I want to call you higher. The church needs to step higher. It's not only a God who hears prayer. It's not only a God who forgives. It's a God who can heal our city. In Jesus' name. Amen. We need to be called up higher to everything that that verse means for us. Jeremiah 29, verse 7 says this, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Well, here's the context here. The people uh, uh, of Israel or Jeru of Judah were taken captive by Babylon. And the prophet Jeremiah prophesied, you're going to be captive for 70 years. You're not leaving this place for 70 years. And what does the prophet say? Does he say rebel against the kingdom? Re rebel against this wicked kingdom? It was a wicked kingdom. His fight against this wicked king who thinks he's God, he was a wicked king, thought he was great, right? No, Jeremiah didn't say any of those things. He said, you know what, this is what you're supposed to do. Accept it. This is where you're at. And this is what, how you're supposed to live. I want you to plant. I want you to have your farms. I want you to prosper. I want you to get married. I want you to have children here. And I want you to pray for the city. Because if this city prospers, if the city has peace, if the city has any level of righteousness, you will experience it. So what is he saying? What is he saying? This wicked nation can be changed by your prayers. God can keep you in the midst of this great captivity. I don't know how you feel about the city of Oregon. I don't know how you feel about the city of Toledo. Maybe you've been trying to get out. 
But maybe what God's been trying to do is get into your heart that God can use you to change this place from the inside out. I don't, I got to confess to you, this was a struggle for me. From the moment I landed here, I knew two things. Number one, God called me here. Number two, I hate this place. Those are two things. The moment I came to Toledo area, I knew, God, you called me here, so I knew I can't leave here. I'm not trying to be in the belly of some fish, spit out back in Toledo. I knew God called me here, and I knew that I hated it here. So that meant only one thing. I needed to repent. I needed to repent. I needed to come before God and say, God, my heart is wrong. I'm not thinking about your kingdom. I'm thinking about my kingdom. I'm not thinking about your ways. I'm thinking about my ways. I'm not thinking about your purpose. I'm thinking about my comfort. I'm not thinking about your dreams. I'm thinking about my career. God, I'm not thinking about you. Change my heart. We need a heart change. We need to begin to pray strategically for our city. Now, what does it look like for us as a church? And what does it look like for us individuals? This is something that we're going to do as a church, and I'd like to welcome you to do this with us. Every month, beginning pretty soon here, what I'd like to do is introduce to you a, a prayer focus for the city of Oregon and surrounding areas. And every month, you're going to hear a new prayer focus, whether that be life challenge or whether that be the ministry covered or whether it be our government or our schools. There's going to be a prayer focus that we're going to have for that month. You're going to see it on the bulletin. You're going to see it on the screen. You're going to hear it from the pulpit. And we're just going to commit to pray for that one thing for that month. On Mondays, when we meet together to pray here, some of the time, we're going to make sure to bring up that strategic prayer as we're praying for that specific thing throughout that month. Here, I'm really excited about this. Once a month, okay, once a month, I'm going to be encouraging uh, you and challenging you to uh, or teams of people to walk through the city of Oregon as we pray for our city. So once a month, we're going to go to our schools, and we're going to have a big group of us. We're going to begin to pray to our schools or pray for our city or pray for, uh, we're going to go on Seaman Road until the municipal court and begin to pray for our officials. What we're going to do is we're going to strategically pray together throughout that month. And here, here it is. Here's the big one. I know you guys love it when I talk about fasting. You live to not eat, I know. <laughs> Once a month, okay, just one day, one day a month, we're going to begin taking this prayer focus. We're going to say, okay, God, this day of this month, we're coming before you. Our schools need your presence. Father, we need teachers filled with the glory of God. We need you to hold captive the whole school system and lead our school systems to Jesus. Heal Lucas County. Do you believe that Lucas County needs healing? So do you believe that that's something worth fasting over? Yes. Come on. So we're going to be doing that as we seek the Lord for our city. Some would say, oh, pastor, is that even biblical? I know you're talking about the Old Testament, but is that in the New Testament? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, I urge that supplications, that prayers, that intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. 
for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And praying this way, please, it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you know that today? You know that this scripture is also true, was also true for those who were under Hitler's regime. You know that the scripture was also true for, for the Russians that struggled under Stalin. The Bible calls us to pray for the salvation of man. And we want to strategically press against the kingdom of darkness and say, God, heal our land and change the hearts of our leaders. Do you believe that God is able? Yes. We don't have to agree with our president to pray for him. We're still called to pray for him. We don't have to agree with our Congress to pray for Congress. For your sake and for the generations to come, pray for Congress. We don't have to agree with the, with the Supreme Court to pray for them. Oh, for your sake. Are you praying for the Supreme Court? Do you understand that the laws that they pass and the position they hold is for life? I pray that you're praying. I hope that you're praying. God calls us to pray. Ne next time we get together, we're going to talk about serving intentionally. And we're going to talk about giving generously. But I'd like for you to uh, stand with me today. I'm going to close here because I believe, I know it's early, but I don't want to. I want to just share with you this testimony. With, a, with an usher, take this pulpit. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that prayer can change lives. I believe that I am a byproduct of prayer. I remember when I started to fast, like really fast, the struggle that I had mentally, literally, physically, because I had a, like a migraine headache. And I remember saying, I'm going to persevere. I'm not going to eat. I'm going to fast. I'm going to seek the Lord. And there the Lord led me to read the book of Daniel, which I understood like three lines of the book of Daniel. But I knew that Daniel made up his mind to serve the Lord. Right? And the Lord opened up my eyes to see something about Daniel. Daniel was faithful to God, and God was faithful to Daniel. And I prayed in that day. I prayed, I just want, Lord, at the end of my life, I just want to be a product of your faithfulness. I want people to know that I'm just, it's not about me. I'm just a product of you. You are faithful and that you are good. I remember praying that in a, bank, in, a, in a broken place. I said, I just want to be a product of your faithfulness. Several weeks later, somebody wrote a note that they believed the Lord had given them to give to me. And that note had said, and I still have it, because you have prayed, I want to be a product of your faithfulness. You will be a product of my faithfulness. But that story begun long before that note, long before that prayer. Because when I was number 13 out of 16 kids that my father had, and when I was really grew up a life very much fatherless, with a mother trying to make ends meet, there was a praying grandmother who prayed for each and every one of us and wouldn't give up on any of us. Just last year, as I met with my, one of my older sisters, she said to me, I want to tell you about your grandmother that prayed for you. You didn't get to know her as well as I did because you were too young to know her. But I want to tell you about her routine as she prayed for you. 
She said she'd get up in the morning, early in the morning before the sun would rise. And she began to plead for every one of your father's sons and daughters, for every single one of them. And then in the morning, after everybody was around 7 o'clock, she start making breakfast for everyone. After breakfast was done and everybody was taken care of, she went back to her post of prayer. And she prayed all the way till noon until everybody gathered at that table. And she wouldn't stop praying until she prayed for every single one of us. God, when I said, God, I I just want to be a product of your faithfulness, God said, I've answered that prayer a long time ago. I've been at work a long time ago. And here's what I want you to hear. God wants to use your prayer to change someone's life. That's what I want you to hear. There is somebody right now who needs you to stand in the gap for them to change their destiny. Praying strategically is the first step of being salt and light of the world. To pray with me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you not only save us and fill us and redeem us, but you call us to be a part of what you do in your kingdom. Lord, I thank you, God, that you call us to be salt and light. And Lord, that you've given us weapons of warfare so that we can be effective for you here on this earth. Today I am excited, oh God, about this weapon of prayer that you've given us. We make so little of it, but God, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. And today I pray that you give us a vision and and, and clarity for prayer. Lord God, uh, that you would begin to put in our hearts the things that we need to strategically be praying over. Lord, we talked about how we're going to do this as a church, as a local church within the city. But I believe, oh God, that as I was saying those things, that there were people whose hearts were being stirred because you've called them to strategically pray for certain things in their lives, certain family members, for certain issues that they're facing. I pray, oh God, for the power of your Holy Spirit to make them uncomfortable with not praying. I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to wake them up in the middle of the night so that instead of having just rest for the body, they would have rest in their souls, God, because they understand what it is to dine of your presence in the middle of the night. Oh, God, I pray that you would do it at the rock. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. So there's the decision that i got to make this morning, and I want to welcome you to make this decision with me. But you're here today, and you're saying, you know what? I need to strategically pray. I need to strategically pray for my family. I need to strategically pray for my marriage and my children. I need to begin to strategically pray instead of constantly complain. I want to give up constantly complaining for strategically praying. If that's you, would you come to the altar right now? You're saying, I am going to step up to the call of God, and this morning I give up constantly complaining to strategically praying. You're saying, I, 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 want, I want God to use me. I want, I want to partner with God. I want to partner with God. As I pray to change lives. Not for me, but for Him, because He's worthy. 
I, I, want, I want to stand in the gap for those who cannot stand in the gap. You're saying, I give God permission to burden me to pray for others. If this group of people commit to that, this city, this city has no hope in staying in darkness. If this group of people commit to praying, resurrection power would sweep over all of Toledo area. But you right now say, God, I come to you and I commit. I wake up. I wake up. I wake up to pray. I wake up to pray. I wake up in my spirit to pray. Just begin to pray. Just begin to intercede and say, God, here I am. Here I am. I'm ready to stand in the gap. I'm ready to pray. May I pray, God, stir my heart. Stir my heart. Stir my heart, oh God. Hallelujah. Just begin to pray right now. Just right there, right where you're at. Just begin to pray and seek the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you're here today, and even as you're up here, you're saying, I want to, I, I give permission to Jesus, for, to Jesus to give me the desires of his heart. I give him access, and I say, Lord, plant your desires in my heart. Plant your desires in my heart. Would you begin to pray that way and say, oh, Lord, do it in me. Plant your desires in my heart. Plant your desires in my heart. Plant your compassion in my heart. Plant your mercy in my heart. Oh, plant your mission for me in my heart. Open my eyes to the mission that you have for me. Lord, do it in me. 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 Hallelujah. 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 Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Lord, I no longer just want to be a receiver. I want to be a conduit of your presence. Kind of like the wires, the electricity wires. You want to transfer God's presence from you into others. You want there to be a massive transfer for God to flow to you, through you, for others. Just say, yes, Lord, that's me. I desire that today. I desire that today. Yes, Lord. Now let's pray. Father, right now as we stand before you here at this altar, we're saying, oh God, we give up complaining to strategically pray. And we say to you, God, that you can take our hearts and that you can put your desires in our hearts. Oh, Father God, we say to you that we give you permission. We ask you to open our eyes and our ears to the need of our city, of our community, of our family. And I pray, oh God, that you would not allow us to be comfortable with the things that you're uncomfortable with, Lord God. And we give you permission, God, to wake us in the middle of the night so that we can seek your face and know how good it is to feed on your presence and to intercede for the brothers and sisters in Christ and to intercede for those who are hopeless and broken in this world. And we give you permission. And we say, God, like Isaiah said, here I am, send us. Here I am, send us. We say, God, here we are, send us. Oh, God, thank you. We respond to you. And we pray, oh, God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen, amen. God bless you. The altars are open. If you need prayer, remain here. We'd love to pray with you. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus.